Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. It's February 13th, 2021, as we wrap up Prospect Week on Sox Machine. Jim Margulis has been writing about the White Sox prospects and who are the most intriguing for this upcoming season, and now we invite one of our best friends of the show to get his thoughts about the White Sox top prospects and how 2021 could go as far as evaluating prospects and the upcoming July Major League Baseball draft. Joining me from MLB.com, it's Jim Callis, and hello, Jim. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, glad to be here, Josh. Listening to you and Jonathan Mayo on one of your recent podcasts, uh, speaking about the top 100 and the difficulties of coming up with such a list of players without a minor league season played in 2020. Now that we know there will be some type of minor league season uh, for this season after the affiliates sign their agreements with Major League Baseball, which is taking over minor league baseball, uh, what challenges are you foreseeing Major League Baseball front offices facing in their player development efforts, knowing that, yes, we're going to have a season, but it's still not like it was in 2019? Um, you know, you're going to be shifted. I mean, right now, the, the, the plan is that we will have big league spring training. will start in a week or so. But unlike the past, where you basically have a bunch of minor league guys in early, and minor league spring training starts in early March, because of the COVID protocols, they're, they're trying to, you know, it's not a bubble, but they're trying to limit the number of people at big league spring training to as few as possible to reduce the chance that a team comes down with a lot of cases and then can't start the season on time. And so what's going to happen is you're essentially going to have, you know, I think it was 65 or 70 men. Like there's a limit to how many players you can even bring in. And once 
once the big league camp is over, say April 1st, or you know, get you know, when teams leave to go get ready for opening day and start the season, then you will have minor league spring training. You you will have a lot of the AAA players who are, I guess, non-roster invitees will be in like an alternate site situation at the beginning of the season so that if we need reinforcements, you know, team needs reinforcements because there's a massive COVID outbreak, you have them. Or if like your catcher, you know, blows out his knee, like you, you can't just bring a guy in from minor league camp who hasn't <laughs> trained yet. So, you know, for the vast majority of your minor leaguers, they're not going to report to spring training till around April 1st. And then this, you know, they'll, they'll need about a month, and then the minor league season will be pushed back to May first. I, I, I do think, Josh, I, I don't think the calendar makes that much of a difference so much as actually playing the games. Like the, like the, the latest I've heard is that the season will, the minor league seasons will start around May first, and they're going to eliminate playoffs this year so that everybody can play in September. It's not just your top teams in the league participating in your league's playoffs. So I think you're going to have a May through September, 120 game or so season. Um, and that's fine. I, you know, I don't know. Nobody seems to know if we're going to have an Arizona Fall League. Um, you know, I would assume we'll have Instructional League again. And so if you do all that, I, I think teams are fine. I, I think the biggest issue is going to be keeping players healthy, especially on the pitching side. But I think also on the hitting side. I mean, it's no secret we've got fewer minor league teams. Um, when you sign more players, you're going to have to release players. Um, you know, you have players. I think there's a, you know, I guess a sense of desperation, Josh, for some guys who, you know, maybe aren't top prospects and you know, maybe they didn't have a good 2019 and need to show what they can do in 2020 and didn't get a chance and weren't part of the outsider instructional league. They may come out you know, trying to do too much too soon or, or you know, just play over their heads. And, 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 and I think even more so than the position guy, on, on the pitching side, literally at every level, like I, I hope we don't have pitching, you know, catastrophic, you know, numbers of injuries. But, you know, on the, on the amateur side, you're going from about 15 games to 56 or more on the college side. On the minor league side, going from zero games to 120 or so. And even in the big leagues, we're going from 60 to 162. Um, you know, it's like two and a half times as many innings in the big leagues. And, you know, I know, like, the minor leaguers and the college guys, some of these guys, you know, threw on the side and did bullpens and, you know, amassed innings. But, like, you know, game innings are, are more stressful and different than, you know, workout innings, I guess, for want of a better term. So I, I think that's going to be the biggest issue. And also with pitchers, you know, not trying to do too much too soon and throw too hard. And, you know, I, 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 you know we know how carefully teams manage high school pitchers in general um, and, and, you know, pitchers. And now you're going to have, you know, a vast majority of these guys, you know, had no game innings or, you know, 15 innings maybe in an instructional league and a couple in alt camp. And, you know, how many innings do you give those guys? I, I don't I don't think you necessarily give those guys 120. Um, so... I do, you know, like I, I, to me, that's the biggest challenge is going to be keeping the pitchers healthy. And then, you know, just to circle it back to the White Sox, I mean, we all know, like, their four best prospects are, you know, in everybody's top 100, and we'll all probably be in the big leagues this year in terms of, you know, Nick Madrigal and Garrett Crochet have already been up, and so is Michael Kopech and Andrew Vaughn will be up. But after that, like, you could argue their three best prospects are high school pitchers, you know, Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, and, you know, Jared Kelly signed last year, and, you know, he, he was at, you know, you know, alternate site instructional league, but he hasn't pitched a pro inning yet, so I don't think you can just turn him loose and give him 100 innings necessarily. And Dahlquist and Thompson, while you know they did various development things, you know have been in pro ball for two years and have pitched five innings between them. Um, so you know, man, I'm sure the White Sox are going to be extremely careful with those guys. But just in general, I, I just worry about pitching a little bit. Like I, I like 
I'm not in charge, as you know, of MLB, but if I would have advocated for expanded rosters just to kind of spread the pitching load around because, you know, I think you're going to see teams doing, you know, maybe more openers or six-man rotations. I don't think even at the big league level you can just crank guys up to 160 games after playing 60. So it'll be that, that'll be the scary part. And these are really good points that you're making. It's almost like for those that don't make it to the major leagues, guys that – quote-unquote, may have flamed out at age 24 or 25. They should be near the phone because maybe we'll probably see more minor league free agent activity in the case that you're making that because a lot of these guys live together as well. If one guy gets COVID, then everyone that lives in that house is going to have to be in some type of quarantine. So you make a good point with the pitching staff. If you got five pitchers that live together – there could be the chance this upcoming season you lose five pitchers. So how does the minor league team? <laughs> yeah, you know, fix I, hadn't, that? I hadn't even thought about that part of it, Josh. I, I was just thinking about just simply the toll of you know pitching more innings because there was no season last year. But you're right, like you know, minor leagues, it's not like you know everybody lives by themselves. And I mean, you do have DLs. I mean, I guess you would shift guys around. I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, it's funny. I had not until this conversation thought about the fact. I mean, I thought about the big league level and the college level, but. You know, we're probably going to have, I mean, it would probably be naive to assume that there won't be at least a minor league team or two affected by some kind of COVID outbreak at some point. Well, next Friday, speaking of college baseball, that's college baseball's opening day. So there's the getting the players on the field and the player development front. For scouts, a lot of them unfortunately got laid off or furloughed. For those that kept their job or brought back to their team, are you what are you hearing on how they're going to try to do their job because you know in a normal year you would have scouts from every team go to Arlington next Friday because you got Texas Tech, Texas, yeah. Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, TCU. Some of the top teams in the country are going to be playing in a mini tournament. What are you hearing on how scouts will try to do their jobs while COVID is still a very real threat in mid-February? Yeah, you know, I I think and I don't know the restrictions of Globe Life Park, but I think they're, they're, that's going to have fairly open access to a, a larger number of scouts, um, which is the exception to the rule. Um, and, and scouts are excited because, uh, you know, that's six of the better teams in the country. You know, Texas Tech's in Lubbock. That's not the easiest place to get to. Neither is Starkville or even flying into Fayetteville. So, like, that's, that, that's going to be scout central next weekend. But, but, again, that's interesting, too, because I think we talked about this last year. You know, and that fans were asking me all the time, you know, how are teams going to draft when there was no college or high school season? And I explained, like, look, a lot of the work you do is done the previous summer in, in these Woodbat Summer Leagues or Team USA or all these high school showcases. Well, you fast forward to last summer, and the high school showcase season, I mean, pretty much came off, you know, fairly close to normal. I mean, there were restrictions on the number of scouts who could go per team. But for the most part, like, all the high school guys got seen. I think teams feel pretty good about lining up the high school guys. The college guys, like one, you aren't bearing down on the next year's draft class during the current year. You know, certainly not in the first, you know, three weeks of the college season, which is all we got last year. Then there were very sporadic summer league play and very limited looks at guys in fall ball. Like so the, like I, I know when we did our draft top one hundred in the off season, team said, look, you know, we're with you. You you've got the right names. These are the names we're going to go see on the college side. But we don't, we don't, we can't, you know, really line them up very well because we just don't have enough. We we haven't seen them. Like you know, it's even Kumar Rocker, who's the most famous guy in this draft. 
Kumar Rockers pitched 15 innings since the 2019 College World Series, right. and he, he probably pitched a couple times in fall ball. And you know, like maybe he goes one-one, but like, are you going to feel good? Like the draft for today, I'm not sure whoever takes Kumar Rockers feeling like supremely confident that they have all the information they need to know to feel comfortable to pay him seven or eight million dollars. So. What you're having is, like, none of the college guys have been seen. And, and, and look, you look at what's happened in, in pro and college sports, we're going to have college teams, you know, get COVID. We're going to have series shut down because of COVID, you know, protocols. during the season. That's just the way it's going to be. And so, on one hand, you have teams desperate for information on these college guys and trying to get as much of it, like, like you need to get as much of it early as possible just in case – you know, like, well, we don't want this to happen. Like, what if one of these variants, like, winds up being bad and we take a step back and things shut down again? So everybody's going to, you know, from day one when the season starts, going to be trying to get as much information on as many college guys as possible. And, uh, well, here's the tricky part. <clears throat> like, the schools, you know, rightfully so, are going to have COVID protocols in. And it, it's not like there's a consistent NCAA protocol. Some schools will allow one scout per team in. Some schools will allow 15 scouts in. One day it's going to be American League scouts, one from each team. One day it's going to be National League scouts from each team. Some schools, it's just going to be 10. Um, my alma mater, University of Georgia, I'm told, will allow 12 scouts in. And it was first come, first served, you need to buy season tickets. And if you weren't one of those 12 schools, well, then you're going to have to hopefully you know, find somebody who will sell you a ticket, you know, and you're not going to be sitting behind home plate with a radar gun uh, if you go to Georgia. If, you go, if, you know, if you're interested in a guy, Josh, at, at California or Stanford or Tulane, you better see those guys on the road because scouts are you – know, I don't think they're going to have any fans at those parks or scouts. Um, and it's you know it's I, I know I've I've been working on top thirties and talking to a lot of scouting directors and just you know I mean I've known a lot of these guys for a while and you know you you, you worry about their safety and, and 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 what they've told me is that it's been pretty safe I think everybody is in the scouting profession and yeah you know, I, I make the joke like I don't know what's a more perilous profession right now scouting or sports writing but uh, <laughs> it's uh, neither is a growth industry at the time um, but like you know they're very they're very cognizant of like you don't want to get anybody sick and I mean frankly some of the scouts are older you don't want to you know some, give somebody COVID and have them die so I, like from what scouts have told me the scouts are all very respectful and distancing and wearing masks I mean. Obviously, you know, you get in some situations where you're at, like, there's a high school tournament in Vero Beach, and you have large groups of people sitting together, you know, not distancing, not always wearing masks, or my, my personal pet peeve, the, the wearing of the mask but not covering your nose, which isn't really wearing a mask. Um, so, like, not, you know, nobody's I, I've talked to has run into any, like, you know, aggressive situations where people are, you know, and I think the scouts are being very good about, you know, being trying to take care of themselves and other people. So, but it's it's going to be interesting. And like I said, I mean, I think it's inevitable that you know it'll be you know March 18th and you're playing like and again because you can't just go in groups and walk in. You know, some some of these places are going to want protocols like you get negative tests or register that you're coming so they can contact trace if something happens. You know, and so it's the days of hey, I'm at a game. And I got an hour away, there's another game. I'm just going to pop over there and see the last three innings. You're not going to be able to do that. Right. Like, you know, if it's once, if most of these parts, it's going to be one scout at most per team. So you're going to have to plan that out. And just aside from weather, which, you know, we know being in the Midwest, I mean, <laughs> good luck. You know, games get, you know, games get rained out or, or colded out all the time. But you're also, I mean, there's going to be times where, okay, this Friday I'm going to this series, and you you get there Thursday night. And then you find out, like, oh, three players have tested positive for COVID and the series is off. And, and you probably aren't going to be able to find another place to go because it's, it's, it's going to be 
it's going to be difficult, but I know everybody looks at it you know, kind of like they did the challenges of last year's draft. Like, look, we're all in the same boat. You just have to go out and, and do what you can. And I do think my guess is there will be – last year, obviously, there was a huge, huge increase in video scouting because that was the only thing you could do after early March. And I think while you, know, you would prefer to scout people in person – the video scouting aspect will play a large role again because, you know, you're just not, you know, like, for instance, um, well, <laughs> and I was going to say, I was going to use last year's example, bad example, but we'll, we'll assume nor- like it was normally, like, Mike Shirley can't just roll into the University of Tennessee with four guys to go see Garrett Crochet. Um, like, you, just, you aren't going to be able to do that this year. Yeah, and I think a lot of teams are also going to rely on whatever TrackMan data they can get their hands on from some of the top college programs and make some significant well, yeah, choices. But there's less of that now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, did they do that anyway? And like most schools, ha- like that data exists. It just, what, what's unfortunate is that you would get, you know, coming in, you would have a lot more of that data if we'd had a 2020 right. season. And if we'd had like a Cape Cod season, and if we had team USA, like you would have gathered some of that stuff last year too. Um, but you're right. Like, like, like they will definitely do that. Like, you know, it's, I mean, the, the the short answer, and I know that was a very long answer because it's kind of a fascinating question, but the short answer is, you know, like, you'll basically, you know, make decisions on whatever data you can accumulate, whether that's first-person looks, which won't be as plentiful as it would be in a normal year, and video scouting and, and you know, various technical data. And, you know, again, everybody's going to kind of be in the same boat, um, and so teams are – you know, right now, you know, like there's, like I said, there's a Vera Beach high school tournament that was pretty good this weekend. Like they're they're already going after it because, again, you just don't know um, what's going to happen this spring for sure. Well, looking at the White Sox prospects of the top 100 list, which you could view at MLB.com slash prospects, they go number 14, Andrew Vaughn, number 39, Michael Kopech, number 40, Nick Madrigal, and number 56 is Garrett Crochet. Let's start with Andrew Vaughn. Jim, we are hearing gossip from the grapevine that Andrew Vaughn could seriously be the White Sox opening day DH if he looks sharp during spring training and he looks more ready than Zach Collins and Yerma Mercedes. We at Sox Machine think that's incredibly risky because he's barely played any minor league baseball and he didn't get any time in AA. If the White Sox go this route, how would you feel about watching Andrew Vaughn start the 2021 season with the White Sox? I'd be fine with that. Um, you know, I'm not, I mean, as you know, I, I, I didn't grow up here, so I'm, not, I'm neither a Cubs nor a White Sox fan. So I don't, uh, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I don't bleed uh, White Sox as much as, as you and your, your, your fellow guys uh, over there at Sox Machine do job. I, to me, if he wins the job, he wins the job. And, and the thing is, I mean, it's got to be. I mean, I don't know how many years we talked to be you know, going back. I, I still remember talking to you outside the hotel in D.C. You know, after the no. the Chris Sale trade, uh, walking around uh, National Harbor at the winter meeting. So for at least five years, I, I guess it started to change a little bit last year. But like for five years, we've been talking about the massive rebuild and when it's going to take fruition. And I, I would, I would like it if I were a White Sox fan. That the White Sox aren't messing around. Like they, they took a huge step forward last year, got to the playoffs, and you know you can, you know we could talk about like you know Dane Dunning, you know that, that one in three or four years might hurt a little bit, 
But like, there's no question that you you have a better idea what you have in Lance Lynn this year. And they went out and got Liam Hendricks, and they got Adam Eaton to to bolster their outfield depth. And I'm probably forgetting a couple of their moves. Like they're in it to win it. They're not like, hey, we made the playoffs. Like, oh, we feel pretty good. Like they're they're being aggressive. And if you think that Andrew Vaughn is one of your nine best hitters or whatever, when you when you factor in platoons, and needs to be your DH. Then he should. You're, you're trying to win, and and you know we've talked about Andrew a bunch. I mean, he was he's one of the best college hitters to come around in a long time. Um, and you know, I think it's different than pitching in that, like you know, if you're a pitcher, you may need to develop command and control. You may need to develop a third pitch. You may need to learn about pitch sequencing, whatever. You know, Andrew Vaughn, and I know he's taking some grounders at third, and he's okay. For, like, Andrew Vaughn's a bat. Like, Andrew Vaughn was drafted to hit. And Andrew Vaughn knows how to hit. And if you see enough in spring training to convince you that he's ready to hit at the big league level, then I would be all in. Now, I, I know, like, you're giving up some service time considerations. But, again, you know, I think this is a different level of White Sox team. Like, I wouldn't quite say – I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, you wouldn't say World Series are bust this year, would you? No. But – you, but I mean, I think if I'm a White Sox, if I'm the White Sox, I want to, you know, go a round or two deep into the playoffs. Like getting to the playoffs and losing the division series, that would be a disappointment. Um, so like they're looking to move forward, and I, you know, it's funny. I always felt bad. I don't know how many times over the years, Josh. I always felt like I was running this guy down because um, I just never liked him as much as as others did. You want Zach Collins as your DH? Come on, like. Andrew Vaughn's a lot better hitter than Zach Collins. Um, you know, your mean Mercedes, like, like to me, those guys are, like, your mean Mercedes is intriguing because he's 28 years old. To me, those guys are, like, third catcher, occasional DH, like, if you have an expanded roster. But, like, I, I, I don't think three or 400 at-bats of Zach Collins is going to look really good. I, so, yes, if, Andrew, if they decide Andrew Vaughn's their best guy, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, let's do that. Okay, I think you convinced me. I... I had a couple of beers last week, and I finally got on the uh, Andrew Vaughn DH train. My, my biggest concern, Jim, and yes, you have grown with us during this rebuild for us White Sox fans. I, w- I really don't want them to repeat a situation with Gordon Beckham. And I don't think that's going to happen with Vaughn because I agree with you. Andrew Vaughn is an excellent hitter, and I think he can be successful if he did start with the White Sox in 2021 based on his bat-to-ball skills and especially his batter's eye, we'll see how much of the power uh, we'll see in 2021. But that's just my biggest concern is that sometimes they get very aggressive with these guys and they fall flat on their face and they do not get back up. And I really don't want that to happen at Vaughn. And you know what? I mean, and I don't think it will because I can't see how he doesn't hit. Now that said, and he's got more power than this guy. Like, I didn't think there was any way Dustin Ackley wasn't going to hit, and he went in the same area of the draft. Um, so that one shocked me. But, like, with, uh, uh, you know, with Gordon Beckham, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking fellow University of Georgia guy. Um, coincidentally, his walk-up music is still the ringtone on my cell phone, which was not because of Gordon Beckham. Uh, but I, but I, I, your love, if you call me, you, if somebody calls my cell right now, Josh, you will hear your love in the background. I, I, Gordon Beckham's one of those mysteries. I, I, I've never figured that one out because he was good as a rookie, and he, he was. was never that good again. And what's insane is like, the guy will probably play in the big leagues again this year. The guy's played in the big leagues every year. Like you wouldn't think it, but I mean, it just just since he left the White Sox, you know, he, 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 they traded him to the Angels, then they brought him back, and he struggled again. But since then, he's played with the Braves, Giants, Mariners, and even last year, 
or 19 with the Tigers. He didn't play in 20, but he's probably going to be back in the big leagues somewhere. I mean, the guy just keeps resurfacing, but he had an 800, 808 ops as a rookie playing shortstop, and I don't think he ever got over 695 again, and that was in the next season. Like, he just – his plate discipline was good his rookie year. It just, it, it, I, I don't understand that one. I, I know I'm digressing, but that, that's a mystery to me because that first year it's like, okay, this guy's going to be a really good player, and then he was never good again. Yeah. Well – Let's go over to someone that is still a bit of a mystery, especially after you skipped 2020, and that's Michael Kopech. When you speak with others, are you hearing any doubts or concerns after he skipped 2020, some of the off the field stuff that's been going on, and uh, that he hasn't also he hasn't pitched in a non spring training game since 2018? Yeah, I mean, I think all that you know is you know, cause for some concern, just because until you see him back, you don't know that he's back. I mean, he, he was going through, I think he, he went through a divorce, right? Like, like there, there was a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if, if publicly we know exactly his specific reasons for, for opting not to play last year. You know, the White Sox, which they should have done, respected that. You know, that was his right. He was going through some things. You know, honestly, you know, coming back, and, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he would have tried to do too much too soon. You had COVID concerns, whatever. I mean, like you and everybody else, I mean, <laughs> the last time we saw him, he pitched in uh, in spring training, uh, and I think he hit, what, 100 miles an hour six times or something? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, the it, it looked like the, the Michael Kopech we had seen. But, like, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's some um, – uncertainty around him until you see him come back and, you know, pitch, you know, and show that stuff on a regular basis. But the last time we saw him, it seemed like the stuff was back. I mean, the, not everybody, but the vast majority of Tommy John guys get their stuff back, you know, if they if they work hard on the rehab, which which he apparently did. So, no, um, yeah, I mean, he's, I think, somewhat of a mystery. Um, you know, he could play, you know, obviously a, a large role. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to have a five-man rotation and use the same five guys all year, you know, with coming off of a 60-game season. I mean, he could be a key starter. I mean, if you had him, you know, if he was closing in September somehow, like he's got that kind of arm, that wouldn't shock me. So, I mean, I think, you know, he's got a chance to play a huge role. You know, yes, there's uncertainty. I don't think there's any more concern you would have. You know, I just think it's just kind of normal concern. Look, you know, he had Tommy John. He didn't, you know, pitch last year. So we got to see what he is when he comes back. But I don't think there's extra concern on top of that, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Uh, Nick Madrigal. Last year, he proved his contact skills are legit. His base running defense needs to improve in 2021. What are you hoping to see from Madrigal in year two, Jim? (laughs) I've said this so many times. Like, If I had a dollar for every time I – poo-pooed Zach Collins on, on your podcast, Josh, and I had a dollar for every time I've said, I don't know quite, wait to, quite what to make of Nick Madrigal on your podcast, I'd, <laughs> I'd have a lot of dollars in, in those two piles. And, you know, it's like, I mean, Nick Madrigal like, was almost like extreme Nick Madrigal at the plate last year. He was. Where he comes up, he hits 340, and he has a 745 ops, which 340 is a minimum 680 ops, <laughs> but he had Three extra base hits and four walks, 109 plate appearances. That is the lowest ops 
in the 150-year history of the major leagues <laughs> for any player with over 100 plate appearances who hit 340. That's the lowest. Like, it's, it's almost impossible to do. And, I mean, yeah, we, okay, we know this. He's going to hit for average. He's going to make contact because he does that. I think if I'm the White Sox, I would like him to drive the ball a little bit more. Um, you know, I mean, last year was an odd year. For anybody making their debut last year, it was an odd year because you didn't get – you weren't transitioning – if you didn't make the opening roster, you weren't transitioning from, say, AAA to the big leagues, and you hadn't been playing games, you know, every day and getting in that routine. You were at all camp, which wasn't anything like playing, you know, in a normal situation. So I cut everybody slack, and he did hit 340. Um, you know, I am with you. Like, you know, one of the things that's attractive about Nick Madrigal is he's got this high baseball IQ, and, like, he's not, like, a, a burner, but he's got plus speed, and he's supposed to know how to use it. But we saw him run into outs a couple times last year. Um, you know, he's, you know, we've keep touting him as the best defensive second base prospect in baseball. And he looked a little shaky at times last year. Um, and on one hand, you know, I think you could say, you know, like maybe like a lot of rookies, you know, the game sped up on him a little bit, or he was trying to do a little too much, but like, that's the exact opposite of who Nick Madrigal is. Like he's always been a guy who's had the steady heartbeat and you know, like you know, you know, technically sound. I, you know, I, I think he'll be better base running and defensively. I really do. I, I just, like I said, I, I still don't know how much impact the battle have. And you know, it goes back to when they took him fourth overall. I thought he was the best player in college baseball, and he had the highest floor in the draft. And I wasn't sure how how, how high the ceiling was. But the good thing about Nick Madrigal, Josh, is for this team, I think it's a great fit. You you aren't asking Nick, hey, you're the number four pick. We need you to bat third or, you know, be a big driver in this lineup. Like in this lineup, like you could argue, I'm just looking at this, he might be the seventh or eighth best hitter in the lineup. Like, and if just go out there, you know, hit 300 plus, make contact, play good second base, and that's fine. They don't need him to be the superstar carrying the team. So I think – it's a good situation for him, but I still like I, I go back and forth when we were lineup guys on the top 100. Like, do you take you know you know his floor is probably might be the highest floor of anybody on this top 100 because you know that guy's going to hit and he can play the middle infield. Um, but I just don't know. Like, are we ever going to get 800 ops out of Nick Madrigal? I, right. I don't know. Yeah, I we'll see. He's going to wear out as far as these uh, flares through the middle of the infield and that right field shallow gap between second base and right field. I think that he's going to wear out that part of the field, and I'm just waiting for a team one day to have that shift and where that right fielder is about 50 feet behind the second baseman, daring him to hit it opposite field as far as deep enough to get over the outfielder's head. Well, but, and, you know, and, that, and that's a really good point, Josh, because that's the thing. Like, if he doesn't drive the – I mean, I, I don't think he'll ever not hit. I mean, he'll make contact. But if you, like you said, keep dumping balls into that same area and he doesn't have much power and not much opposite field power at all, you're right. Like, team, you're, you're going to have teams are going to put the right fielder, you know, 50 feet behind second base to catch those flares and – dare him okay hit the ball over my head right can you do it um and you know he, he's like you know, i've used this analogy and it's not this simple but like you know we have him you know our grades on him are our 70 hitter on the 20 day scouting scale and you could almost 80 him and then 30 power and i've used this analogy before it's not as simple like it's not like nick can just say hey i'm going to take 10 from the hit and add it to the power but like i do think 
he is gifted enough with the bat to be able to alter his approach for less average, more power. The problem is he's listed at 5'8", 175. So there is, you know, it's not like he's 6'0". It's not like he's a DJ LeMahieu type. And DJ used to be, you know, DJ still uses the opposite field. But, like, DJ has some strength and can turn on some pitches. And you can't play DJ LeMahieu 50 feet behind the second baseman. Um, it's just, you know, is Nick going to be physically strong enough to drive the ball if teams start cheating towards infield on him? I, I don't know. We'll be talking next about Garrett Crochet and answer some fan questions with Jim Callis after a quick word from our sponsors. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Your business may be small, but you've got big goals. Brother Laser Printers can help you succeed no matter the space, task, or budget. From crisp black and white to vivid full color, our printers offer affordable quality you can trust. Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com laser. Let's move over to Garrett Crochet because that is quite the arm. And I remember us having a conversation about Crochet last year before the season began. And you told me to put him on my draft watch list because the velocity was unbelievable. And sure enough, you were right. And the White Sox took him. The long-term question is what is his role going to be with the White Sox moving forward? I think he could be the next Josh Hader. And honestly, that's good enough for me because we've seen how effective Hader could be with the Milwaukee Brewers. But the White Sox, Chris Getz, they've come out and said that they may want to try next year to stretch him out to being a starter in 2022, but not have him throw in the minor leagues. What do you think Crochet's long-term role will be in the majors? I think they're going to go that route eventually. I mean, I mean, it's so easy as a writer to just you know, but it's like to say this, but like they're doing with him what they did with Chris Sale. Um, the exact same thing. You know, Sale didn't go straight to the big leagues because he, he pitched in the minors for about six weeks. Um, you know, and, and Sale, you know, in both cases, the, the White Sox were, were, were right place, right time in the draft. Like, I, I've written a lot of things, and I've been right, and I've been wrong on things. But, like, back in, in 2010, the big three in the draft were, were Harp, Bryce Harper, James and Tyon, and Manny Machado, and they went one, two, three, and they were going one, two, three in whatever order. And in and, and, and baseball, like the talk was, there's no clear number four guy. And, and Josh, I, I will, I will toot my own horn here. I, I pounded the figurative table and I wrote a column in Baseball America and said, this is ridiculous. The number four guy is clearly Chris Sale. He'd been the best player in the Cape Cod League. He dominated. He pitched a bunch of innings at Florida Gulf Coast for two years and, and carved up that competition. And, and I, one of my pet peeves is this whole, oh, it's a low-arm slot, can't start. He's a slinger. Well, Madison Bumgarner slings the ball, too, and he's pretty good. And, and anyway, with Sale, back then when you could get major league contact, contracts out of the draft, the top college pitchers always got major league contracts. And teams, because I guess the low-arm slot were balking, didn't want to give Chris Sale a major league contract, so he fell to, what was it, 13th pick, I think, with the White Sox. And I've always used the analogy, and I'm sure if Jerry Reinsdorf listens to your podcast, he's going to hate me saying this again. But Reinsdorf <laughs> is kind of like the reverse Boris of the draft. Like with with agents, you know, the agents will say, "Oh, my guy's not going to sign. He's going to do this or that. He'll go to school." 
And people are like, yeah, the guy's going to ultimately sign the end. But when it's Boris, because he's had guys do that, people fear when Scott's guy is talking about going to school. And so on the owner's side, when the teams are like, oh, like we're not going to pay this, we're not going to pay that, in the end, the teams usually pay because they want talent, except Reinsdorf hates the draft or hates paying players in the draft, and they've walked away from guys over the, several guys over the years. And so when they drafted Sale, uh, you know, Rick Hahn and, you know, was it Doug Lauman, I think was the scouting director, I think basically told Sale's party, like, look, <laughs> we know you want a major league contract. You're, you know, Jerry's not going to go for that. And we can't pay you over slot. Like you, you, you know, this is you know. And back then, it was these BS slots that MLB came up with that didn't even reflect market value. And they're like, we cannot pay you more than slot. But if you sign quickly, like we're in the wild card race, and you pitch well, we will give you every opportunity to pitch in the big leagues for us this year. And and they did. And so I mean, I'm, I'm rambling now, but like it was kind of right place, right time. And with crochet, it was the same thing. Like I was talking to Mike Shirley the other day, um, just for top 30 related stuff. And we were talking again about how, if there's a normal season, they don't come close to getting Garrett Crochet. He might've been the first college pitcher taken, but just because it was an unusual year, you know, he, he didn't pitch his first three weeks with a minor. And I, I, I don't even think it was so much a, like a injury. It was more just a precaution. Like he had mild shoulder soreness. And I really think Tennessee was looking at it. Like we've got our best team in a long time. We just want him ready for the SEC season. And there was no SEC season. But if, if there was an SEC season, like he came out and pitched once and, and, and showed the stuff we all saw with the White Sox, if he pitched like that in the SEC, he's probably going like third in the draft. Um, so it was kind of right place, right time. But, but I think it's kind of the Chris Sale experience all over again. You know, he, he got to the big leagues. <laughs> he, he looked awesome. I mean, it was, it was, I remember, you know, during his first game texting Chris Getz going, like, basically, just a series of texts, I was just like, ooh, wow. You know, like, it was like, this is fun. Like, you know, crochet against the Reds was pretty ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I, I think he, I mean, I think, he, you know, they're going to do the same thing. I think he'll be in the bullpen this year, you know, as a, as a huge weapon on a, a team that hopes to contend for a championship. And then I think, you know, they'll take a look at it and, and, you know, like Lance Lynn's a free agent, right, at the end of the year. And, and I don't know if the contract staffs are other guys. I mean, there's there's some uncertainty in the rotation. I think that they will probably give him the chance to start going into to 2022. I, I think that's the loose plan. Like you said, if you become Josh Hader, and, and I think he could, that's fine. Like, that's that's a really good pick. I, I, I do think we haven't seen a lot of it because he's pitched in relief. I, I had scouts who liked his changeup more than his slider last fall um, when they saw him. Like I had, you know, I had scouts who said you, know, you could see it's not consistent, but you could see like a, a 65 changeup on the 20 to 80 scouting scale to go with the fastball and slider. Um, and he throws strikes, even though he's he's six six and it's high octane stuff. He throws enough strikes, so I, I think you know it, it's that notion that you know a starter you're going to get more innings and more value out of than a reliever that and and he's got the pitches and he's got the control so i i think we might see the chris sale thing all over again where he he, he pitches his first year in pro ball he's already in the big leagues his second year he's a reliever and then the third year you try to stretch him out and maybe make him a starter yeah and i, I said this on our show earlier this week with the seven inning double headers i would like to see tony la Russa start garrett crochet and at least as far as the second of those doubleheader games when the White Sox have them, and see how long he lasts if you give him 60 pitches and give use that as an opportunity to start stretching him out. I'm just, 
if you don't do that, I'm just very doubtful, Jim, on him being a starter in 2022 if he's just going to be pitching every third or fourth day uh, or twice in three days, one, two inning stints. I just don't know how he's going to build up that endurance that you can count on him throwing five-plus innings. Well, I think you have to do it in the off season. I think you have to do it in the off because you know. I mean, again, and I mean, I'm only comparing to Chris Sale, who was like an All Stars for seven years as a starter, like which is you know, I'm not saying everybody's gonna be Chris Sale, but you know, Chris Sale went from 71 innings in his first full year in the big leagues to making 30 starts and pitching 192 innings the next year. I mean, I don't think you can do it so much during the season because unless you build his arm up, yeah, you know, throwing like if you're getting him accustomed to. I mean, the way baseball is now, you know, relievers are pitching in general one inning at a time. You maybe he goes two on occasion, you know, 20 or 30 pitches. Like, I don't know if you can just pop him up to 60 for a seven-inning start and then, you know, ratchet him down to 20 or 30, and then, like, three weeks later he's going 60 again. You know, especially, I, I do think – I think it's unlikely we will see them do something like that this year. Also, again, because of the 162-game season. And, I mean, Garrett Crochet pitched – I think counting the playoffs, I mean, I know he threw at the alt site and stuff like that, but like in official game action last year, he threw 10 innings. That's, that's counting college. Um, and so I think they're, they're, my guess is, you know, and also, you know, he had the, the, the forearm get stiff in the playoffs, that they probably are going to be somewhat cautious with him, at least in the early going, to make sure, he, you know, that, that, that nothing arises. But, uh, you know, it, it is, I mean, you know, for all I'm saying about Chris Sale, you could probably counter with, well, how many guys have done that? And I don't know if anybody else has really done that beyond Chris Sale. Like, I, I, I do know, I, and, and I don't know why more teams don't do this. <clears throat> I think it's just because starters are hard to find. But when I was growing up in the D.C. area, and the Orioles were our only team, and they were, were a perennial winner, like, what Earl Weaver would do is he would bring up their young pitching prospects, and they would pitch middle relief, whether it was Denny Martinez or Scott McGregor or Storm Davis or Sammy Stewart. Or, yeah, I think even Boddicker did that a little bit. Like, he would, like they, had, they always had good pitching, <clears throat> but they would bring up their pitching prospects, and they would spend their first year or two in the big leagues as, like, a middle reliever swingman where you'd, you'd, you'd get 100 innings or so, but you weren't, you know, you didn't have the pressure and the stresses of starting every fifth day, and you kind of figured out what worked and what didn't work. And then in year three, they'd, they'd make you a starter, and then you'd win a Cy Young Award. Um, it was, I always thought that was an effective way to, to develop guys. I don't know if it's just like, like people want you know, more immediate results now, but I, I would do that with more guys. But I think that would be an easier way to transition a guy. Because like you point out, I mean, if, if Crochet pitches 60 innings this year, making the jump to 180 next year, that's, that's not easy to do. Yeah, I just think it's a tall task. Because with Chris Sale, his last two years with Florida Gulf Coast, he, he was a primary starter. In Tennessee, right. Crochet sometimes started, but pitched more out of the bullpen. And as you mentioned, I think that, that was though, I, I, I was going to say, like I know that that came up on our broadcast a little bit. I think that was more because it was an unsettled team, and they were trying to win games and right. move guys to different roles. Like I, I don't think we, you know, we worked with Tim Corbin, the Vanderbilt coach, on our our broadcast last year, and, and talked to him a lot off the air leading up to the show, and. I, I think he's got definite starter stuff. I, I don't think the fact that he didn't start from day one <clears throat> or wasn't a full-time starter at Tennessee what, is reflects Garrett Crochet. I think that reflects the needs of the team. And, you know, Tony Vitello, who's a really good coach, is trying to rebuild the program and, and you know, put guys in roles where they could try to win some games. You know, it's – you know, they, but, I, but I agree. Your concerns are, are, are valid. It, it's like, again – and I know the White Sox know it's not easy, but you still have a lot of the White Sox who, there – who did this with Chris Sale? 
um, a lot, a lot of the club officials were there back when Chris Sale was coming around, and so I think you know they know like, hey, this can work. So I, I wouldn't rule it out, but it'll be fascinating to watch. And it's like again. I would be thankful as a White Sox fan. Like I'm not saying he's going to be Chris Sale, but there's so many parallels to where the guy kind of fell in their lap when he shouldn't have. To he's in the big leagues right away, you know, and then he's going to you know be a full time reliever. The parallels are very similar, um, so it, it's kind of interesting. So we talked about these four. These four we are expecting to play for the White Sox sometime in 2021 and should graduate off the prospect list. Who's next out of the White Sox prospects that could show up in a top 100 list next year? Yeah, I think behind that tier of top 100 guys, I think there are, to me, there's there, there's five guys who are kind of their clear next tier of prospects. You've got the three high school pitchers from the last two drafts, and Jared Kelly and Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist. And I would line those those high school pitchers up in that order. You've got, you know, international man of mystery, Yoelki Suspedis, who, who's now a White Sox, and you've got Jonathan Stever. Um, you know, I, I think those that, that that's their next tier of prospects. Um, I think the high ceilings probably belong to to the high school guys, the, the high school pitchers. <clears throat> um, and I think even Dahlquist stuff is, is is picking up a little bit. Um, that said, um, you know, between them, they've thrown five innings in pro ball, all the, the three of them, you know, plus whatever they did at, at alternate game. I mean, and, yeah, I mean, the White Sox have had Thompson and Dahlquist in their system for a year and a half, so they've done some stuff with them. But just in actual game action, it, it's just five innings of rookie ball. So we we really don't know, you know, exactly what those guys are, you know, pitching over the full course of a season. And, and like Yoelki Suspedes, you know he's got some interesting tools. He's, he's you know he's got the Cuban mystique. He's got the Suspedes mystique. You know you you talk to some international scouts. There's some teams who who, who question the bat a little bit. Um, so I'm not. He intrigues me. I'm not ready to say slam dunk. This guy you know is can't miss. I, I want to see that guy hit against professional pitching and, and see how it goes. And, you know, Stever, I, I don't know if Stever's a top 100 guy, Josh. Um, I, I, I've liked, I like Jonathan Stever. I, I liked him in Indiana. I, I thought, you know, he, there was like – I thought he was a third – he should have been a third-round pick. I guess there was like a minor physical concern, so he wound up going in the fifth round. Um, he had a great 2019. You know, I, I don't really read anything into his two outings last year. You know, he'd had – you know, I think a, a physical setback, nothing major, but like, you know, he been shut down for a little bit and then he got ramped back up and he's, he's thrust into the, the, the playoff race. I, I think Jonathan Stevers got a chance to, you know, maybe be a four starter, three starter. Um, you know, he's, we certainly know a lot more about Jonathan Stever than those other four guys. Um, and I, he may graduate off the list too this year. I mean, who knows? Um, but I think that's the next group. And so if you're talking about a top 100 guy, you know, if is it possible the White Sox don't have any top 100 guys next year? It's possible, you know, because they're they're picking in the 20s, right? Like they don't have a high pick. Um, right. And you know, it's also possible that Yoelki Suspedes could, you know, you know, come out and just rake, and that a couple of these high school guys look really good, and they have three or four guys on the top 100. So, but it, it's definitely a, a time of transition, I guess is probably the best way to put it for the system. But that said. that's just normal. I mean, unless you're like those Braves teams that won 14 division titles in a row and just had unbelievable farm systems year after year, 
like you generally don't have most teams don't have a very good farm system and a very good big league team because you you know at some point you're promoting your very good prospects to the big leagues or trading them for veterans um and building it you know and and then your your system gets a little depleted but it'll be It'll be interesting to see how we line up the White Sox top prospects a year from now, assuming those four guys graduate and then we get a full season. Because you and I have talked for years, Josh. I mean, you have your kind of this this group that's you know kind of last seen in Double A of you know Mike Rodolfo and Luis Gonzalez and Blake Rutherford and Zach Birdie. Zach Birdie probably graduates, I guess, if he's healthy. And Jake Berger's coming back, but like. We don't really know what any of those guys are. are. They, you know, or we don't know that those guys, any of those guys, are big league regulars based on talent and/or health yet. Like they're just kind of. I, I still don't quite know what to make a lot of those guys. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of steps those guys take take in 2020. Because not that it's make a break, and I mean they're not going to release guys. But you know, if 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 Mike Rodolfo can't stay healthy or make contact or. You know, Gavin Sheets hits 14 homers again, or Blake Rutherford and Luis Gonzalez just have so-so years with a bat. I mean, those guys are getting old enough where I don't know that you really look at them as like, okay, they're going to be a key part of a White Sox team going forward. Right. So it's kind of big years for those guys too. We did get a, a few fan questions here that I sure. want to ask you about. Uh, one of our supporters, Alex Rude, he's asking, how much does a position play in a role uh, when compiling the top 100 rankings? For example, if Andrew Vaughn had his same hit tools, but he was a right fielder instead of first baseman, would he still be number 14 in the top 100? Yeah, I mean, it does. And I know, in general, I think that sometimes when – not not with Andrew Vaughn in particular, but sometimes when fans are like, hey, why is this guy ranked so low? It's because I think we're more realistic about projecting position. Like, but you definitely try guys at positions, you know, early in their careers. But doesn't mean, you know, a lot of shortstops wind up moving. Sometimes we'll get like, oh, why, you know, why is this guy? Well, we don't think that guy's a shortstop. I, I don't know if Andrew Vaughn playing outfield would move the needle much on him just because it's a corner outfield spot. Um, you know, you could – argue it a little bit. I mean, look, you could argue Andrew Vaughn. I'm looking at our top 100. You could argue him, you know, up six spots, down six spots, just based on the bat. So the positions do play a factor, but I think it's more a factor, like, it would be different now, and I know he took around balls there, but I don't think he can play there. Like, if you thought Andrew Vaughn could be a third baseman, if there was a chance, like, if Andrew Vaughn was a third baseman, you know, then 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 you'd move him up. I, I don't think corner outfield would move the needle too much. I mean, you would like it. Um, you know, I mean, it would make him more valuable, but like we we already have him stuffed pretty good because the bat I, I think is going to be pretty special. Andrew Siegel, uh, this is a really interesting question, especially listening to you and Jonathan talk about the Nolan Arenado trade on your guys's podcast. Andrew's asking the currency for trades appears to be young teenage players. If you were advising the White Sox who might need help in this particular arena sometime this season. Is there anyone you would advise them not to trade away? Yeah, you know, I mean, most of the trades we've seen this season, and I think it's somewhat, I mean, it's not atypical anyway, but I think it's it's heightened by the, you know, teams having fewer, less revenue coming off the pandemic. A lot of these trades have been financially motivated, too. Um, and, you know, point where, you know, you Darvish gets traded for four guys who, you know, only one guy's even made his pro debut so far or, or, or whatever. Um, no, I, I, you know, I, again, if I'm the White Sox, 
Well, I mean, I guess it would depend on what the question. Like, like, look, we can all see like maybe the White Sox need another you know big time starter for the rotation or whatever. You know, if we're talking like along the lines of the Darvish trade, you know, would I give up? You know, the Brian Ramoses and Benjamin Baileys and Jose Rodriguez's of the world for a difference maker at the big league level? Yes, I, I would do that because again, and I think the White Sox like they're all in. They're, they're trying to win this year. I mean, I wouldn't just give those guys away for like a number five starter or something. You know, would I give up now? If we're talking about <laughs> Jerry Kelly and Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, who've barely played. I don't know if I'd give them all up. I mean, you know, if we want to talk about, like, some kind of, you know, fantasy world where, I don't know why this happened, the Dodgers, you know, Andrew Freeman calls up Rick Hahn and says, hey, I'll give you Walker Bueller um, for Jerry Kelly, Matthew Thompson, and Andrew Dahlquist. I, I might have to do that. Um, but, you know, if, if you know, if, if we're not talking about, you know, if we're talking along the lines of, like, what the Padres did of holding on to their best prospects – but trading a bunch of young guys, yeah, I, I would do that. I, 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 the thing is, like your window can close so quickly. Um, you know, as a big league contender, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm sure all White Sox fans will go tee hee hee. I mean, look at the Cubs. I mean, we all thought the Cubs were winning multiple World Series, right, and gonna, you know, you know, contend forever. And now they're retooling, and a bunch of their guys are going to be gone next year. You know, as free agents if they're not traded before then. And so I, I would say. You know, I wouldn't just be rash, but like if you could get a legitimate frontline starter, I'd be very willing to trade. You know, a lot of my non-top 100 guys to make that happen to make my team even better. The scar tissue is deep with White Sox fans and trading teenagers, Jim. The Fernando Tatis Jr. trade is going to haunt well, them again, forever. I, I'm not saying trade him for James Shields. You know, it's, 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 I mean, I was going to say it's so funny, and I'm sure White Sox fans are saying, no, damn it, Callis, it's not funny. But what I was going to say is Rick Hahn made so many good trades. Like, I, I still think Rick Hahn's trade report card's very good. But, I mean, like, baseball and evaluating prospects is hard. Like, I always joke, like, at least – I mean, I'll sit here and agonize over, okay, like, who should be number 10 on my White Sox list this year? And, you know, it's going to be Mike Rodolfo, but, like, you know, there's, like, five guys it could be, and I'll sit there and agonize over it. And, like, does it really matter for what I do if Mike Rodolfo is 10th or 12th on the list? No, but I want to get it right. But at the same time, I'm not, like, affecting the fortunes of a team or uh, my draft list. If if I've got the wrong guy in the wrong spot, I'm not giving that guy $4 million and, you know, costing my franchise. And, you know, it, it, it's tough when you're making trades or drafting players. Like the best GMs, the best GMs make bad trades, and the best scouting directors make bad draft picks. Like I, they, that's one thing I've learned is that nobody, nobody has a perfect record. Like like nobody never makes a bad trade. Like nobody, you know, like hits on every one of their first round picks and has a good draft every year. It just does not happen. But yeah, it's you know, in their defense. <laughs> on the Fernando Tatis, not that's going to make people feel that much better. Like, I, I think, you know, A.J. Preller's just a maniac. I mean, I mean that in a good way. Like, I don't, I, I know A.J. I, I don't think A.J., A.J. may sleep like two hours a night, I, I, if that. Like, A.J., I, I just think is, it's not quite 24-7, but it's pretty close. It's just, he, he knows everything that's going on, I think, with every team. He, I think he's more invested in first-hand scouting as he did it for so long, than, than any GM. I, you know, I, I, he sees international players. He sees a bunch of draft players. Like, he just loves it. And, you know, they liked Tatis. You know, he was not a big money signing. And, uh, I mean, I, I feel bad. I mean, 
you know how bad the White Sox farm system was back then, Josh. I never put Tatis on the White Sox top 30. <laughs> like, like, and I had, like, he may have more career award than the 30 guys on that top 30, if I go back and look, combined. Um, but he just wasn't the same guy. And, and I know from talking to the Potters, um, like, they liked him. They liked the bloodlines. But even they didn't realize what they had until he got to Instructional League, I guess, after that season. I don't even know if he'd made his – I guess, did he debut in rookie ball? I don't even remember, but when he got to Instructional League, all of a sudden, like, the, like he just kind of, like, started to physically mature immediately, and he got, like, leaner and stronger, and, like, a lot, like, his speed, I think, went from kind of, like, average speed to, you know, plus speed, and it was just, like, a totally different guy to even they were like, whoa. Yeah, I guess, so I guess, I guess he did, they traded him, and he made his pro debut in the Padres system, and put up decent numbers in rookie ball, but nothing spectacular. But when he got to instructional league, it was like a different guy, and everybody was like, "Wow!" And then the next year, he was in double eight eighteen, and he was Fernando Tatis Jr. But you know that that one was tough. But I also think as much credit as you have to give the Padres, Josh, there was some luck involved there too. Because I think even they'll tell you they didn't realize. I mean, they didn't realize he was anywhere near as good as he was going to be until in that instructional league, and they're like, "Whoa!" Like what's happening here our last question comes from steve bennett and this is a question that i don't think i could really answer so i'm intrigued in what your thoughts are jim steve's asking will jake Berger have a major league career if so what do you think it will look like yeah that's a great question and i think i've told you uh you know i think you know i love the missouri state program yep. but yeah outside of my alma mater the university of georgia I, I may I just have the utmost respect for Missouri State, which isn't a you know it, 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 it's it's a mid major. I mean they have, they have a great ballpark because they have that Springfield ballpark they get to use um, that the Double A team or I don't even know if it's Double A team anymore because I don't I, I have to rememorize all the affiliates again now, Josh, for every team. But uh, but um, they, they just they, like Keith Gutton, Paul Evans. They, they produce all these big league pitchers. And play. I love that program. I, I it's probably my my second favorite program after Georgia, and. I liked the Jake Berger pick when they made it. I know, you know, he came out, you know, he was, I think, hitting a few too many ground balls, so he didn't tear it up power-wise. But, you know, his debut was okay. You know, 750 ops in, in you know, in Winston-Salem or, or Kannapolis, I guess, for the most part. And, um, and he hasn't played since then. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of an impossible question to answer. Now, I mean, I know, I mean, you guys probably talked to White Sox, too. I've talked to White Sox. Everybody's talked to White Sox or even, you know, scouts with other clubs. So I'm in instructional league. Like, Jake Berger looked good, you know, for want of a, a non-precise, not really quantifiable term. But he looked good in, in instructional league. And he, his athleticism, you know, not that you know, he was Luis Robert, but, like, you know, I think he's got some deceptive ap- – he's more athletic than he looks. And he can play third. Like, his athleticism was back. The hitting ability looked back. So, I want, like, I, I am optimistic. Yes, I think he will play in the big leagues. Now, that said – He's lost three years of at-bats. That's like, you know, 1,500 at-bats. You know, in a perfect non-pandemic world where he doesn't get hurt, he's probably already playing in the big leagues for the White Sox by now. Like, like, like at least would have been a rookie last year, you would have thought. So, I mean, I, I do think, you know, like I, I said, I gave you those five names I thought were the next tier. And I know I've probably been more aggressive ranking Jake Berger than other people's list. And then, and look, Jake's a guy you could literally put anywhere on a prospect list you want based on what he was before he got hurt. And, hey, he looks like he's coming back to – guy hasn't played in three years, so, like, I'm putting him at number 30 as a wild card. 
Um, you know, I've got him in the middle of my my list that we'll have out in a couple of weeks still. Um, and it, you know, I don't think I'm not saying this is going to happen. It's not impossible that Jake Berger could be like their number one or number two or three prospect a year from now. Um, you know, if he's back to being Jake Berger, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm optimistic, and I know I'm not always. Uh, I'm probably a little you know, biased in favor of the program, and I love the Missouri State guys. I still, I mean, if he's healthy, I think he could be a big league regular. Um, you know, again, I mean, the Achilles, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody's really seen him maybe a little bit in stretch league run down the line. Like, I don't know how fat, like how much speed he might have lost, but he wasn't a speed guy. You know, we aren't talking about up-the-middle guy who, you know, it's going to affect his profile. Um, you know, maybe, the, like, I, to me, the, the big question, the two questions I would have, the two ones I want to see first are, one, how does he look at the plate? Because he hasn't hit for three years, you know, pretty much. And two, can he still play third? Because I, I, I thought he was definitely a third baseman before. You know, not Gold Glover, but at least an average third baseman before. Does he still move well enough to play third? Because then if, if he doesn't move well enough to play third and you're talking first base only, then that's another question, especially with... Jose Abreu and Andrew Vaughn in the organization. But, uh, I, I, I mean, there's so many guys. I'm eager to see what they do. Like, I, I would have said that in 2020, and, and we didn't get a 2020, and, and now more so in 2021. And, and he's one of them. I, I just hope for his sake, like, he'd be on my if – I, if I was doing an all-star team of prospects who deserve a fully healthy season, Jake Berger would be my starting third baseman. You can follow Jim on Twitter. He's at Jim Callis MLB. Read his always excellent work on MLB.com slash prospects. And also subscribe to the MLB Pipeline podcast, especially with these recent trades. And with the top 30s coming out, he and Jonathan Mayo break it down and have always very intriguing and interesting conversations about the top prospects in Major League Baseball. And Jim, as always, thank you so much for taking your time and coming on the Sox Machine podcast. And, uh, and hopefully we're talking about a, a really contending White Sox team sometime during the season. And we're talking about a trade the White Sox made to add and losing prospects rather than try to gain prospects in a trade. I, I think we'll see that. I think we'll see that. And, and Josh, real quick, I, I forgot to – I always do this and I, and I forgot. I, so we aren't revealing the top 30 yet, but I have it in order. The White Sox like to have it in their media guide, so I, I have the order is locked in. I always give you one player you can ask me where he ranks, and I will tell you his precise ranking on the upcoming top 30. So real quick, all right. who do you who do you want to know about? Well, you told me Micah Adolfo was number 10, and I would have asked who number 10 is. So give me number 11. No, no, you no, see, you're forgetting how we play this game. You have to ask, you get a player, and I will tell you where he's ranked. Darn it. You have to give me a name, and I tell you what number he is. All right. How about okay, Jose Rodriguez, the shortstop? That's a good one. I have I have Jose Rodriguez at number eighteen All right. on the list. So he's moving up. He's got an up arrow. Okay, so number eighteen, Jose Rodriguez. So there you go, everyone that's listening. You can start piecing it together, and then the top thirty will eventually be released. Uh, but now you know number ten, Mike Rodolfo, and now number eighteen, Jose Rodriguez. There you go. And you, and you got the top four guys from the top 100 in precise order. So Exactly. So you just guessed 5 through 9 and then 11 through 17. And, and, I, and I gave you the names for 5 through 9. You just kind of have to sort them out. You have to guess what order I put them in. But, but there you go. So exactly. anyway, that list should be out, I believe, March 5th 
Whatever the Friday is, the first week in March, I think, is when our White Sox list will be out. All right, excellent. So just a few weeks left to go, folks, before we see that that top 30. And uh, as always, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah, no, this was fun. It's always good questions. The readers ask good questions. Uh, I love the Jake Berger question. Like all, all three of those reader questions were great questions. So you guys have a, you guys have a great podcast and a great listenership, and it always makes me think. And, and I still can't keep talking about poor Zach Collins and running him down a little bit. I, I need to stop doing that. So That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. For those that are new to the show, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our work at Sox Machine, think about signing up for our Patreon. Patreon supporters get an ad-free version of the podcast, plus the opportunity to ask questions to our guests like Alex, Andrew, and Steve did this week to Jim Callis. Also, our upcoming Major League Baseball draft coverage will be Patreon-exclusive content. There are multiple tiers of support starting at just $2 a month. Go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.